Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. Father, we thank you for saints that have gone on before us, who have lighted the way for us. Father, would you accept our worship this day, which is our to make much of Jesus. We thank you for your great grace. We pray that worship and praise and adoration might arise to you this day from all over this world. Would you bless your people? Would you feed your sheep? Would you give us what we need? Would you bless our fellowship? We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Speaking of the new covenant in the old, the Lord says of his people, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am Jehovah, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 24, 7. He says, They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. If there's any doubt about the heart knowledge of God that these Jeremiah prophecies refer to, that's removed by the apostolic hermeneutic. Because... In the apostolic epistle to the Hebrews, the writer quotes from Jeremiah 31 and applies the prophecy to the members of the new covenant inaugurated in the shed blood of Jesus. In his argument about the superiority of the new covenant over Moses and the old covenant, the apostolic writer says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish. 
listen, Sam. Knowledge of God, knowing God, is an indispensable element of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And it's in its promise of everlasting life. The knowledge of God is an indispensable element of the new covenant. And that covenant's guarantee of everlasting life. Speaking to his beloved disciples, the Lord Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. John 14, 1 through 11. He said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. Listen to that again. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Commenting on that verse, the great reformer John Calvin wrote, For it is not every kind of knowledge that is here described, but that knowledge which forms us anew, into the image of God from faith to faith, or rather, which is the same with faith, by which, having been engrafted into the body of Christ, we are made partakers of the divine adoption and heirs of heaven. The contemporary Bible scholar, Don Carson, comments, nor is this knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ merely intellectual, mere information, though it invariably includes information. In a gospel that ranks belief no less central than knowledge to the acquisition of eternal life, it is clear that the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ entails fellowship, trust, personal relationship, faith. Consider 
Consider how important the great apostle considered the knowledge of God. Paul wrote, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and who count them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having in my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's from his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. A beloved apostle, John, earnestly desires that the converted saints have assurance that they know God. Because the knowledge of God, according to Jesus, John 17, 3, is everlasting life. So to facilitate their knowledge and their assurance, John the Beloved writes, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. It's black and white, says the beloved apostle. We can know that we know God if we're walking in his way. He writes, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and that we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5, 20. So, well, let me listen. I'm not sure it's possible to overstate the importance of the knowledge of God. According to Jesus, it is eternal life. Here again, these words of the Son of God. This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who thou hast sent. Now, now listen. In those words, in the words of Jesus, we see a divine equation. True knowledge of God is salvation. To know God is to know everlasting life. Life eternal. It's a divine equation. Saints, consider with me this morning. There is an understanding of knowledge, which is of faith. There is a knowledge of faith. Of denoting source or origin. The apostolic writer of the Hebrews teaches that through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
Hebrews 11.3. The Net Bible translates it, By faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. Consider with me this knowledge, this understanding, which is of, through, by, faith. I don't think I've ever met someone who has been argued into becoming a Christian. Have you? I don't think I've ever met anyone who's been argued into becoming a Christian. People become Christians, listen, people become Christians because of the understanding, the knowledge of faith. And then, then after they believe, they look for arguments to show that their faith is rational. That's what happens. That is just the way that human minds work. We like to think that we are paragons of rationality, but we are not. If you've ever spent much time in argument or studying argumentation or persuasion, you know this to be the case. People become convinced, and then they seek arguments to rationalize their beliefs. And this is why you encounter cognitive dissonance when it doesn't work. Now, this is why, though I enjoy and appreciate apologetics, I don't spend nearly as much time on it as I did years ago. Listen. Generally, apologetics makes no converts. Apologetics encourages converts. Apologetics strengthens the faith of saints. But faith, true saving faith, it is supernatural. It is gifted by the Almighty to his people. By grace are you saved through faith. And not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. So, please understand, belief comes before argument. Belief comes before argument. Now, I want you to understand why. Please stay with me. There's more than one kind of knowledge. Consider the difference between the knowledge of facts and the knowledge of persons. In the second and third grade, I acquired some knowledge. I learned the multiplication tables, 1 through 12. And at the time, it was quite an accomplishment. And it's served me well for over five decades now. And that memorization was a committing to memory a knowledge of a set of facts. But consider this. In the summer of 1982, I met a girl named Jean. And in the last 40 plus years, I've come to know her. 
And I've learned a lot about her, but also of her. Listen, my knowledge of her, a person, is quite different than my knowledge of my multiplication tables. You see, there's a difference between knowledge of facts and knowledge of a person. Now there's some similarity, but there's also a great difference in the knowledge of facts and of persons. The process by which I came to know Jeannie, a person, is quite a different process than the process by which I came to know the facts of the multiplication tables. It was, and it is, a quite different process of study. Now listen, I believe that similar to this bifurcation of knowledge, there's more than one kind of faith. Consider, consider the belief that a statement or proposition is true. And contrast that with the belief, the confidence that a person is trustworthy. We'll hear that again. <laughs> there is the belief that a statement or proposition is true. And that's different. It's a different kind of faith than the belief that a person is trustworthy. As the process by which we come to know our multiplication tables is different from the process by which we come to know a person, listen, the process by which we come to know and believe things about God is different from the process by which we come to know God personally. Here a question. Would you hire someone based solely upon a review of his CV or resume? Not if you're a competent manager. When you need to fill a position of elevated responsibility, you not only request a CV or a resume, you request references from people who claim to know the applicant. You definitely want to review the CV or the resume, and you want to see the reference list. But listen, you also want to meet the person and talk to him. <clears throat> and interact with him, and interview him. And you not only want some facts about him, you want to know him, don't you? But listen, listen, after all of this, after the interviews, after the reviewing of the facts, the testimonials, the references, the recommendations, there comes a point at which no more discussion or argument is warranted. Something must be done. You must obligate yourself. You must make up your mind. You must commit yourself. You must entrust the candidate with the job. 
or not. You see, listen, you see, in dealing with facts, you can be sure before you commit yourself. In dealing with facts, you can be sure before you commit yourself. You can contact the university and find out if he really did earn that degree that he claims he possesses. You can call the references and see if he really did work on that project that he said he worked on with those people. You can check the source documents and see if the publications he claimed were actually published. So in dealing with facts, you can be sure before you commit yourself. But listen, in dealing with persons, in dealing with persons, you must commit yourself before you can be sure. Listen, this is not a novel idea. Jesus himself taught this principle plainly. He said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. John 7, 16 and 17. The New International Version translates it this way. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So, did you hear that? The teaching of the Savior is crystal clear. If you want to know, you must commit. If you want to find out, you must choose. If you want to understand, you're going to have to decide. Listen, you, you can study and fact check all day. But to really know a person, a personal commitment is required. Over 2,000 years ago, in the last days of the Old Covenant era, the apostolic writer to the Hebrews wrote, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Hebrews 1. Verses 1 and 2. Now, I know that you are quite aware of the divine transcendence. We speak of it here regularly. We revere and acknowledge the high sovereignty of God, and we understand with Bart that he is wholly other. But here, question. Is this high God, is he who is wholly other, 
able to connect and communicate and interact with creatures who are finite, mundane, and fallen? Is he able? We answer yes. Yes. We affirm that in the incarnation, <clears throat> the holy other has become holy human. God has become what we are. God has become man, fully man, totally human, able to connect, communicate, and interact with creatures, even creatures who are finite, mundane, It is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 2, verses 16 through 18. Beloved, do you understand that to know God is to know Jesus? Friend, to know Jesus is to know God. Amen. To know Jesus of Nazareth is to know God. He taught, to know me is to know my Father, God. And to know God is life everlasting. Listen, yes, yes, it's to know facts about him, his CV, his resume, the testimonials about him, his references. But deeper than belief in all the facts about Jesus, deeper than belief that the statements of fact about him are true, is the belief, listen, the belief that he, Jesus himself, is personally trustworthy. I really believe he's going to do what he said. Why? Because I know him. Don't you see that that requires a faith commitment? Listen, <laughs> listen, all of you that have been around for a while have seen faithfulness. And you've also seen broken trust. Faithlessness. Haven't you? You've all seen betrayal. And I'll not defend it. Listen, adultery is murder. It is the killing of trust. Listen, every faithful wife who has been betrayed by an adulterous husband had to commit. She had to commit in order to get married. And her trust was betrayed. Her faith in her husband was shown to be vain. He was not trustworthy. He was a liar. 
She may have thought she knew him, but she really didn't know him. Listen, every faithful husband who has been betrayed by an adulterous wife had to commit. He had to commit to get married. And his trust was betrayed. And his faith in his wife was shown to be vain. She was not trustworthy. She was a liar. He may have thought he knew her, but he really didn't know her. You see, friend, there's a difference between what you believe and what you know. I, I'll tell you, the worst wounding I've ever had the worst I've ever been shook in my life is when I found out that something I thought I knew was a lie. When something I thought was true wasn't. When someone I thought I knew, when someone I thought was a faithful friend turned out to be a liar, a cheat, a betrayer, a Judas. of Nazareth, the Son of God, worthy of our trust? Is Jesus of Nazareth trustworthy? Christians believe that the Bible teaches that when Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, when he said that to his disciples, he wasn't only promising that he would, in the future, be together with the 11, Judas, or 12 minus Judas. His commitment extends to all those who become his disciples through the teaching of those original disciples. But saints, listen, do you understand, do you understand that believing that requires you to believe in the trustworthiness of a person? You understand that? <clears throat> you see, listen, <clears throat> no one here today, and you correct me if I'm wrong, no one here today has seen one, so anyone arise from the dead after three days. Have you? <clears throat> yeah, I know, I know about NDEs, near-death experiences. I, I find them quite interesting. You might meet someone who's had an NDE. There are lots of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the resurrection of Jesus out of death, his return to life after three days of death, as the first fruit of the new creation, listen, that is completely unique. And listen, for you to believe that you Personally, you will personally die. That's not that hard to believe. Is it? I mean, you, don't you know it's coming? If you've been alive for even a few years, there are people that you used to know who are gone. They're not here anymore. But 
because they died, they, quote, passed on, unquote. And we all know that is the end, the telos of all flesh. So that's not hard to believe, is it? You're going to die. But listen, to believe that that is not the end, that death will not be able to hold you, that you, like Jesus, will arise out of death, even long after three days. Why would you believe that? Why would you believe that? Well, beloved, listen. <laughs> the only reason that people believe that <clears throat> is because of a personal assurance. They believe that because they know a person, a person they believe to be fully trustworthy. And that person has said to his disciples, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 2 and 3, that's the New American Standard version. Christians believe that they will arise out of death because it happened to their king, and their king has promised that the same thing will happen to them. He has said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 11, 26. He has said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 11, 25 and 26. And listen, to believe that, to believe that in the absence of seeing it happen, in the absence of empirically testable, factual evidence, to believe that, listen, it requires full confidence in the trustworthiness of the person who promised that. It requires one to believe that when Jesus guarantees something, God is guaranteeing it. Jesus speaks for God because Jesus the second person of the Holy Trinity is God. And saints, by his word and by his spirit, we know him personally, person to person. Why do you believe you're going to live forever? Jesus said so. That's why. That's why. There's a wonderful statement in the Old Covenant scriptures about Moses, the man of God, <coughs> the mediator of the Old Covenant. The Bible says, Jehovah spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Exodus 33, 11. I'm not 
sure I understand everything that that means, but it seems to mean that somehow the transcendent, sovereign, holy other God condescended to converse, to interact, to discourse with holy Moses. Was it theopony? Blood, I don't know, but this I believe. The holy other God, who is in blessed condescension, spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. The blessed transcendent sovereign who called Abraham his friend. This God in incarnation has spoken to us through his son. And through his son and the impeccable trustworthiness of his word, he has assured us of everlasting life in, through, and with Jesus. Now, <laughs> I know some of this may seem a little mystical, a little fuzzy, not as clear as you'd like it to be. And I'll not apologize for that. It's just as clear as God wants it to be. And listen, he wants you and me to know him personally. And he wants you and me to trust him. To account him, our God, trustworthy. Worthy of our trust. Let me just remind you of how Abram became Abraham, the first Jew. Do you think the Jews are special? God can make a Jew out of an ordinary pagan. He does it all the time. Almighty God the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, yet unborn. The God of Moses and David and Joshua and John the Baptist and Peter and Paul and Philip. <coughs> that God came to Abram in the Ur of the Chaldees and God communicated with them. And he said, go forth from your country from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as Jehovah had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now did you see what happened there? Almighty God, Yahweh, spoke to Abraham, and he gave him a commandment. He said, go. And Abraham hearkened. Abram. Perfect. He heard and he obeyed. The Bible says, God said, go. He went forth. 
somehow, listen, somehow Abram, the father of the faithful, the father of us all, Romans 4.16, somehow he believed God and he obeyed him. God said go and he went. Listen, his obedience was evidence of his belief. Uh, he showed his faith by his work. <laughs> Abraham, listen, Abraham did not have the facts before him. He didn't have the multiplication tables. He couldn't confirm the facts. The trustworthiness of the Almighty, that was the question. And it was time to commit. It was time to choose. It was time to decide. And Abram, the father of the faithful, in absence of evidence, trusted God. And what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans 4, verse 3. <laughs> oh, to be like Abraham. trust, to believe, to obey. God help us. God help us. Saints, do you desire to know God? Know Jesus. Know him in the scriptures. Know him in the church. Know him in prayer. Know him in nature. Seek him. Find him everywhere. All things were made by him and for him. And in him we live and move and have our being. He's here. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Jesus, my God, I know his name. His name is all my trust. Nor will he put my soul to shame, nor let my hope be lost. Firm as his throne, his promise stands. And he can well secure what I've committed to his hands till the decisive hour. Then will he own my worthless name before his father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint my soul a place. My thoughts surmount these lower skies and look within the veil where springs of endless pleasure rise and waters never fail. There I behold with sweet delight the blessed three in one and strong affections fix my sight on God's incarnate son. His promise stands forever firm. His grace shall ne'er depart. He binds my name upon his arm and seals it on his heart. Light are the pains that nature brings. How short our sorrows are. When with eternal future things, the present we compare. I will not be a stranger still to that celestial place where I forever hope to dwell near my Redeemer's face. Please stand with me.
us pray. My God, I bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as Father, to know thee as covenant God, to experience thy love planted within me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to thee. Faith casts my anchor upward where I trust in thee and engage thee to be my Lord. Oh, be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me to believe, but my faith is weak and wavering, dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow. When it should scale the heavens, it often lies groveling in the dust. O oh Lord, fan this divine spark into a glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing, the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lust, all fluttering to escape, the noxious tree of deadly fruit, the open wayside of earthly tares. O oh Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out. In Jesus' name, amen.